The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. All right, EJ, it's that time. This is the uh, last or one of the last episodes we have before the start of the regular season. I, I don't know. Up is down. Left is right. I don't I don't know time anymore. Um, but this is our season predictions. If you guys watched all or at least most of the individual team predictions and division predictions, we did a whole bunch of stuff constrained within the teams themselves and constrained within the divisions themselves. This episode's different. It's the entire league. We are picking Rookie of the Year for Offensive Defense, Offensive Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, Division Winners, uh, Conference Championship Matchup, Super Bowl Winner for the entire league. So the entire board is now open to us. Uh, I'm sure the comment section is already on fire before people even watch this because we didn't pick who they picked, and that's okay. That's what football fandom is all about, but... Uh, I'm excited, EJ. We did this last year, and I thought it came out decent as far as predictions go, not going to lie. And I think this year we might, hopefully, maybe get closer. Well, if we're using the 1% better model, yeah, we're going to hit it. We're going to be 1% better. <laughs> last year's was good. Uh, I was actually able to find last year's agenda, which we're starting to get into that phase of bootleg where we've done it a couple of times. So was able to pull up last year's agenda, and it was before rewriting it fun to fun to look at what we did and how we did. It's always cool to look back. Um, yeah, but I think we'll be, you know, let's have some confidence. We did a we did a lot more work on the divisional previews this year, and I think, yeah, we're going to predict at least, in your motto, 1% better in terms of accuracy. <laughs> well, with all that being said, why don't we get to our first category? This is going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. We're kind of going with a three down to one model. If you remember last year's show where we pick our three top candidates and then we give the one out of those three that we think has the best chance to win. For me, uh, and also for you, we agree on two of our top three candidates, which is Sky Moore from Kansas City and Damian Pierce from Houston. They both have had excellent camps. They've been, uh, at least so far in the preseason, they've been phenomenal, uh, especially Pierce. He, I mean, he came roaring out of the gate and basically won the starting job in Houston almost immediately. And Sky Moore, I don't think there's been a day in practice <laughs> without some sort of crazy, ridiculous Skymore highlight. Number three, which we also agreed on, snuck up a little bit. Not that we didn't, or at least for me, not that I didn't love George Pickens. I had him as a tier one receiver in this class. And maybe you had even more faith in him than I did. 
What I didn't expect was for him to show up in a very crowded receiving room in Pittsburgh, and it's going to sound crazy, be the best one immediately? Like, are we already at that point where George Pickens just showed up to Pittsburgh and became wide receiver one as a rookie out of nowhere? It's possible. I'm not going to anoint him because, as we know, preseason heroes tend to disappear pretty quickly once the season rolls around. Not all of them, but many of them. Do I think George Pickens is going to disappear? No, I don't. He's looked tremendous. Is he the best wide receiver in Pittsburgh? I'm not going to not gonna knock Deontay off the pedestal yet because he's a damn good wide receiver. But moreover, this is sort of the ode to or the homage to Kevin Colbert's absolute mastery of picking wide receivers. Like, it's a record, I think, unmatched in the NFL. There are teams that do this, that pick positions year over year, decade over decade really well. And the the Steelers, recent but not even that recent, they've been doing it for so long. The, the Steelers' run of choosing wide receivers in the draft over the last 10 to 15 years is stunning. Like, they just always hit. And Omar Khan's had a big, a big hand. I mean, he's been there long as... Colbert and now he's the new GM obviously but they've they've both been in that room picking Emmanuel Sanders Antonio Brown Mike Wall I mean you go through the last what 15 years of Steelers receivers we I think we said it on the 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 exact moment he was picked that when Pickens went to Pittsburgh we were like okay well he's gonna be good (laughs) he's gonna be good at that point but he's been tremendous I'm not ready to anoint him yet do I believe he will be a starter and start you know outside I think he will. I don't think there's any question that there's anybody, you know, better than him as a number two and possibly ascending to that number one. I want to see it in the regular season before that happens. But he and Deontay are are one and two in that wide receiver room. And that's that's amazing for any rookie coming into a very good, as you said, stacked position room and immediately go, oh, yeah, I'm starting. What do you mean? Um, he looks back, this is Pickens, he looks back to pre-injury form, and he dominated mm-hmm. pre-injury, came back from injury, wasn't quite fully up to speed uh, at the end of last year, but still had a few of those flash plays, still had a couple of those, you know, oh yeah, that's that's George Pickens, but he didn't do it all the time. And it was really a question about, hey, takes a while to come back, he's had some extra time to heal, he looks right back to form pre-injury which was dominant so in that sense it's like cool glad you healed well but holy cow that game translates to the nfl just like it did in college which is also not any kind of a guarantee yeah people forget in college not last season the season before that when they played against cincinnati they had an nfl secondary in cincinnati that year they had sauce they had kobe bryant both of them are going to be starters as corners as rookies it's it came out today that kobe's like probably won the starting nickel job in Seattle already, which isn't super surprising, but yeah. And oh, by the way, they had not two, but three safeties that ended up going to the NFL in that secondary too. So George Pickens playing that Cincinnati defense that year and being even more than all of they could handle was the first moment we're like, oh, he's real. And then, you know, he shows up in, uh, I think it was the, the playoffs last year he only played like a couple games and still was able to stack on top of corners and make deep catches down the sideline you're like all right that that dude's special i will say though 
even though I love George Pickens, and I, I mocked him at 14th overall in the draft. I put him at Baltimore at 14, and people were like, oh, I don't know, it's a little rich. Well, it's not rich now. Even for me, who loves George Pickens that much, if I had to narrow down the three picks that you and I agree on, of Sky Moore, Damian Pierce, and George Pickens, I still got to go with Damian Pierce to win the whole award. And you were even bigger on Pierce than I was in the pre-draft process. I think he was what, like RB three for you, something like Four. that. Four. Yeah. So and you I, were. I regret you know, not putting him at three already. <laughs> like I, he's he, looked phenomenal. Same thing everybody said to you about Pickens. Oh, Damian Pierce at four. That's a little rich. And I was like, no, I don't think it is. And now I'm like, damn, why didn't I put him at three? Should have, should have <laughs> held the conviction. But he showed up to Houston, and even the day he was drafted, we said he's the best running back in the room. I don't think it's been a question since the second day of camp that he was going to be the guy. And I think he's just built on that over and over. And he's got a true three down skill set. I posted that clip this week of his pass protection rep against the Saints where he fucking gave a spine buster to a Saints linebacker at Bass Bro. We're like, what kind of rookie does that? Like, goes full WWE on people. That kind. And, oh, by the way, he's a good route runner. He's good hands. He's really bursty, um, both inside and outside. Like, the one knock he has is he doesn't have great long speed. But, God, everything else, he's he's something else. So, I think he's going to be as close to a workhorse running back as you can get in the modern NFL for the Texans this year because they need him to be. And I think the amount of touches that he's going to get relative to these two receivers, Sky Moore and George Pickens, for me, puts him over the top for uh, for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Opportunity is a really good reason to lean towards Pierce in this trio. Pickens, like we talked about, is in a very talented wide receiver room, and they will spread it around. doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for the Steelers. It does a little bit, but they'll be spreading it around. They have multiple... They have, they have targets at every position. They got, they got Fryermuth, they got Najee, they got Deontay, they got Claypool. Like, they're not short on offensive weapons, so the idea that they'll be focusing, even if Pickens ascends to that sort of alpha role, it's still going to be a split. Sky Moore, a little bit the same way. I would lean towards Sky Moore uh, almost out of these three because he's been very favored. Like, his connection with Mahomes has looked special, again, from very early on. And I think he's going to get a lot of catches as a rookie. And Pierce, as you said, going to be as close to a single running back. There is no such thing in the NFL anymore. But he's going to be, in terms of balance of carries, he's going to be more so than a lot of other backs. And we know that he can be productive with those touches. I'm going to lean towards Pickens. I, you know... Based on what I just said, I could vote for any of these three in good conscience and feel like I had a pretty good shot. I think Pickens, as the year goes along, is going to be the guy in crunch time they start throwing to because he has been taking those catches in college. He's used to it. Um, It's not like suddenly he's going to be the guy. I think about Darnell Mooney in in Chicago and like Mooney was... mm -hmm wide receiver two even on his college team he was the most exciting wide receiver on his college team but he wasn't the guy and goes to Chicago now and you know he's exceeding expectations but he's never been the guy Pickens was the guy at Georgia in the SEC this doesn't seem like that much of a jump to him you can tell he's like yeah I won that ball and I should have and I love that attitude from wide receiver I love the skills Um, he looks healthy again I'll lean towards Pickens, but 
if any of these three win it, I would not be surprised at all because I think they're all in the best positions in terms of offensive rookies. Also, he's one of the few receivers that you get blocking highlights out of, oh. which I immensely respect. <laughs> he's a he's a beast. Like I he's angry post, all the time. Yeah, he's angry. Um, you know, uh, people talk about his off field stuff as a reason he might have dropped besides injuries. You know. Had some anger management issues on the field, you know, <laughs> chucked some opposing players into the wall at Georgia. That's all there. And again, landed in a really good spot. Tomlin has been able to harness that, obviously, with multiple personality types at multiple positions throughout his tenure in Pittsburgh. So if you needed an even keeled head guy to, you know, even out a fiery rookie of George Pickens and get the best out of him on the field without, you know, neutering him and benching him like Tomlin is the top candidate as far as I'm concerned. All, so all I'm saying is if if you're big on Trevor Penning and you love what Trevor Penning does, but you don't <laughs> love what George Pickens does, you're a hypocrite. Straight up, you're a hypocrite because they're the same guy that just play different positions. Yeah, and he's continued to do it. I posted highlights of him pre-draft blocking the hell out of people just jolting cornerbacks and putting them on their ass he loves it it's it's part of his game and he is going to continue that he's already done it in the preseason and look Pittsburgh loves wide receivers that block like Heinz Ward was a great wide receiver but Heinz Ward could also block the shit out of anybody and that's one of the reasons he's one of the most beloved Steelers of all time still does local TV commentary for them he was a tough dude right and Pickens plays like that already it's not something they have to instill in him they're just gonna have to focus him and keep him off penalties one thing really quickly the NFL is a global game now bootleg is listened to in over 200 different countries at this point and almost a quarter of our audience is outside of America so EJ and I really want to get better at talking with all of our listeners that live all over the world and don't live here which is why we use Babbel. Babbel is a language learning app for people like us that want to become fluent speakers of any number of up to 14 different languages, including German, Spanish, French, and even Italian too. And just within our top seven audiences alone on this channel, the main spoken languages are already as diverse as English, Spanish, French, German, and Portuguese. So hopefully whenever we finally get to go to a game in Munich or Mexico City next season, we'll be able to put ourselves to the test and go a full week without speaking English to anyone while we cover these games on the road. I know it's a tall order, but we're at least going to try. Babbel lessons have been created by over 100 different linguistics experts and are scientifically proven to be effective. And even more importantly, they also have speech recognition technology to help improve your pronunciation and accent, which is also huge. Babbel gives you access to podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So if you yourself are interested in learning a second or maybe even a third language, Right now, you can get a three-month subscription of Babbel at the link in the description below, and that will give you an additional three months for free. That is six months of Babbel language lessons for the price of three, and that's all going to be at babbel.com, promo code bootleg. Again, babbel.com, use promo code bootleg, and you get a whole bunch of extra months of Babbel for free. Thank you again to Babbel for supporting us, and with that, let's get back to the show. Let's get to Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, this one was was a lot tougher for me there's a lot more options I ended up narrowing down my top three to a whole bunch of guys that I mentioned throughout our divisional previews again go back and watch those if you want to get our picks division by division but for the entire league 
I narrowed it down to Jordan Davis, George Karlaftis, and Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley, uh, again, as long as he's healthy, should be a top 10 to 15 corner in the entire NFL pretty much immediately. He is that skilled. He is that freaky. He's patient. He's technically refined. He's got everything you want from a corner other than a history of durability. But it's neither here nor there. If he stays healthy, he's going to be that dude. George Karloftis, who was in the category of, I like him a lot, but I still wasn't like all the way in on George Karloftis being like a top three to four edge in this class. He showed up to camp and immediately been even better than I thought he would. And again, I liked him a lot. I had him as a, mm-hmm. a high round pick. I uh, can't remember exactly what pick I mocked him at, but I, I liked him. The Chiefs loved him. And he's rewarded that love so far. Uh, his power in terms of speed to power has been magnificent so far. I mean, you saw the clip that went viral, viral of him running through. Uh, was it Borum? Is that who he ran through in week one of the preseason with that speed to power and just caved in the pocket immediately? That power is real. We saw it at Purdue. We're going to see it in the NFL. Somebody who's that big and thick and strong. It's tough to anchor against that. No, oh, by the way, if you if you get caught leaning trying to anchor against it, he's got some nifty enough hands to just kind of like swipe and go around you too. So, uh, I think uh, I think the Ryan Kerrigan comps that were very easy for people to make coming out of college so far have proven to be true. But even though I like Stingley and Karloftis a lot, I have to go with Jordan Davis. I think he is one of the most unique defensive prospects we have ever seen enter the league. And unique might be an overused word. He literally is unique. Somebody that big while also being that quick and fast and and powerful. They Even among all the people in Bill, Sar- Bill Parcell's uh, planet theory, you know, oh, there's only so many people on the planet that look like that. Even among that group of people, Jordan Davis is different. And I think that the league very rarely ever sees people come out of college that look and play like Jordan Davis. And so far, keep in mind, this is a guy that I thought very easily could have been one of the five best players in this class. So far, he's playing like that. And he has just been absolutely wreaking havoc, not just in Eagles camp, but in joint practices, in preseason. It looks like he's still at Georgia (laughs) with all the damage he was doing back there. And I think that it just goes to show that even in the NFL, where it's a whole bunch of grown men, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, even they are not as big, not as fast, and not as strong as Jordan Davis. He's just different, even among freaks. And I think that, for me, he's going to be defensive rookie of the year. He's scheme-altering. And it's very rare to see a player come into the NFL that's scheme-altering. And by that, I mean... Offensive coordinators are going to have to do different things when he's on the field. And when he's on the field for the Eagles, it's going to allow them to dictate things to the offense because they know that he is going to require that kind of attention. And if they don't give it to him, he's just going to wreck the play. That's that's not scheme altering. Scheme altering is, hey, I'm here. You've got to put this person and this person on me, therefore, we can play games with the other two on the other side because these are occupied. And if they're not, if you think, oh, he's just a rookie, you're going to pay for that because, yeah, the planet theory was about size. It wasn't about <laughs> speed. Like, 
none of those guys, even those huge guys, move like him. There are guys as big as him. There are not any guys as big as him that move like him because he moves like he's 50 to 70 pounds lighter than he is, and he's he's not. He's still that big. So scheme altering is not something we see from a typical rookie, but the, the Eagles, a skilled defensive staff, especially up front, are they know what they've got, and now they have a chip that they can move around that is going to determine what the offense has to do, and it's like chess. They're going to put him there and say, okay, so that means you've got to pay attention to him. We're going to play over here now, and if you don't, you know, look, if you don't come after this guy, that's the one that's going to take the piece off the board. Who do you got for your three and then narrowing that down from three to top one? Yeah, this was really difficult. One pick was not difficult, and that was Sauce Gardner. He, you know, I had him as a top corner in this draft. I had him as the one that would probably accelerate to pro success most quickly among this class. The guy I would be least surprised by if he was very good right off the, right off the bat. And he's continued. He looks like the mirror reflection of George Pickens in terms of I belong here. I'm fast enough. I'm winning reps. I should be. None of that's changed throughout camp. And I really don't see it changing throughout the season. So the sauce Gardner pick for me was fairly easy. Other than that, there's a lot of great names. You talked about Karlaftis. Stingley is in there for me. The injury history worries me, but again, like you, if he's healthy, he's in this conversation we like David Katie. Martin Emerson's had some flashes in preseason, but it came down to Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson was probably the second easiest pick for me. He has been playing, again, like the guy we saw in college now that he's hit the pros, and I just don't see that changing. Yes, people are bigger and faster. He works extremely hard. He's physically gifted. And when you put that combination together, you and I have talked about it on the podcast before, coaches, you're like, hmm, when the best guys work the hardest, well, you're screwed. So that's pretty much Hutchinson (laughs) in a nutshell. Also, he can sing a mean Billie Jean, by the way. (laughs) That I did not have on his scouting report, and he crushed that. Uh, What we're referencing is uh, the Lions, like many other teams, make their rookies do some kind of talent show thing. Uh, Hutchinson ends up well he followed the first rule which is make sure everybody in the room knows the song oh yeah you gotta you gotta get him singing along to match that's right so he picks a song everybody knows and then yeah he he mashed that I was impressed so Hutchinson is a pretty easy pick and then it was really for that third slot should it be Stingley I worry about the health could it be Carl Loftus like him don't love him he's looked very good and I went with Kayvon Thibodeau, and this is my kind of, eh, this is my reach pick, not because of his talent or anything else. I'm just not sure on the line for the Giants how effective he will be. And that's what these awards come down to. It's not about how good the player is. It's about their opportunities, uh, what turns into what our highlight plays for defensive linemen. It's sacks and pressures for secondary players. It's picks and pick sixes especially in big games. And if you don't have those or you play on a team that just doesn't get a lot of press, you know, if your team's going to stink, it's really hard to win an award. So Thibodeau was my, I love the player. I'm not sure about the setting pick. So it's Gardner, Hutchison, and Thibodeau for me. Out of those three, I'm going with Gardner, 
even though he's going to play on what I think is going to be a team that struggles. I think the Jets are not going to have a great year, maybe better than last year, but not a great year. Despite that, he's going to be dominant, and voters are going to see that. They're going to go back at the end of the season and look at all the receivers that played against Gardner and go, what did they do? And you're going to see one of those little tables that you end up seeing on Twitter, like, these are all the yards and touchdowns that Sauce Gardner gave up this year, and it's going to be ridiculously low. It's going to be a couple of hundred yards and like three scores. Well, that that's that's why I think that even though he's going to be on the worst team, or not the worst, but you know, not a great team, not a great team. The fact that analytic or cornerback is kind of like an insulated position when it comes to analytics because they don't rely on anyone else in order to have an opportunity to get their job done. Like pass rushers, like Aiden and Kayvon. Like, I'm sorry, if the linebackers and the DTs aren't doing their job and the run's not getting stopped, you're going to have a whole lot more third and threes and third and sevens, and then, you're, I'm sorry, you're just not going to get sacks. Corner, whether you're up, whether you're down, whether the game is close, they're going to throw the ball, <laughs> so you're going to get targets, and then it just comes down to, are you playing those targets well or not? So I, I, I agree and disagree with you at the same time in that, yes, he's still going to look great, and his analytics at the end of the season are going to look great, but I almost disagree that him being on a bad team is going to work against him because he's regardless of how much they're winning or losing by, he's going to get targets. Now, in the sense that maybe the Jets won't be on prime time, like sure voters might not watch him because of that. But I truly think that corner, whether it's Stingley or Gardner or you know fucking Tariq Willen, whoever. It's one of the positions that no matter what the game situation, no matter what the game script is, you can still play well and be noticed for that. If that was not true, I'm sorry, A.J. Terrell would not be seen as the elite corner he is because the Falcons were not that good, but people still saw what Terrell was doing on a bad team and be like, man, that dude's that dude's pretty freaking good. you know. So I, I think Sauce Gardner and A.J. Terrell share a lot more in common than maybe people think because of that. I bet by the end of the year, the thing that might be working against Sauce Gardner's Defensive Rookie of the Year campaign is that folks don't throw at him. Oh, yeah. Hard to get stats when you got no targets. <laughs> because for the first half of the year, look, NFL offensive coordinators are egotistical, and they're not going to back down from throwing at a rookie. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll see how good he is. And they're going to throw at him. And... He's going to knock him down. He's going to pick a couple off. He's going to make sure that guys he's covering have no production, just like he did at Cincinnati. And then people are going to get film on him, and they're going to go, you know, it's probably a lot more fruitful for us to throw elsewhere. And his targets are going to decline over the season. You watch. Might not be at half, but by two-thirds of the way through the season, the number of times they throw at Gardner is not going to be going up. It's going to be going down. And by the end of the season – he might be seeing two, three targets a game, and it's hard to hard to influence people when you know your biggest asset is they just don't throw to my side of the field. You have to look a little bit deeper to find that, and it's it's the most telling stat in the NFL, but it's not one that jumps off the page at you. By the way, I mentioned the name Tariq Woolen. Um, we kind of have like an honorable mention dark horse type category, and these are guys who are not even in the second or third tier in terms of, like, most likely to win. These are guys way... Like, you can't even get odds 
for them to win. But they're really good players, and we want you to pay attention to them. Tariq Woolen, as well as Kobe Bryant, who we also mentioned in this show, you need to pay attention to. Travis Jones, way dark horse, you need to pay attention to. I would say Martin Emerson and Boye Mafe, neither of them are going to start immediately. You need to pay attention to them as rookies. They are never in a million years going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, but you need to watch them. They're good players. On offense, I forgot to mention them at the time, Tyquan Thornton. You should watch him. He's going to get significant run as the main deep threat in New England. Alec Pierce, who you and I were both big fans of, yeah, showed up to Indy, made a lot of noise. Kyle Phillips, who I was obsessed with before the draft, showed up to Tennessee, immediately was absolutely destroying every corner there and in joint practices. All of these guys, some of them maybe you've never watched a snap of them. If you're longtime bootleg listeners, you probably have heard us talk about them endlessly. But the national media at large is not talking about them. You need to pay attention to all of them as rookies because they're all going to be good. Pierce is the one. All, all of the names you talked about are names that we talked about pre-draft, guys we really like, guys who even throughout the pre-draft process started to ascend, like Tyquan Thornton. We saw him at Shrine. We thought, hey, he's pretty good. Went to the Combine. Stock went up. Got drafted higher than we thought. Went to camp. Performed. Like He's continued to rise throughout the entire process. Alec Pierce was a receiver that a lot of people were high on. Just kind of ended up in the second tier because it was a really loaded receiver class. We really liked the fit with him landing in Indianapolis, them having Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan knows how to use that receiver. And Alec Pierce has been, I would say, arguably even better in preseason and in camp than we expected him to be. He's been making just as many catches as George Pickens, but with a lot less noise, a lot less focus, a lot like well, less Colts lights. versus Steelers. You know, it's different. Fully understand bases. that, yeah. but do not sleep on Alec Pierce. He looks like a better rookie version of T. Higgins the year he came into Cincinnati. And T. Higgins mm-hmm. had a good rookie year. Alec Pierce might have a great rookie year for the Colts. He's looked that good, so don't forget that one. There was there was a word early in, in Colts camp, like, oh, Paris Campbell is like for sure going to be the number two in Indy. And I, I was immediately like, ah, I mean – Sure, you could sell me sure. on that, but at the same time, like Pierce was lurking in the dark, and then as camp has went on, and as we saw him in preseason, the drumbeat has slowly got louder of like maybe a little bit more competition for those snaps than people thought. <laughs> so yeah, watch Alec Pierce, especially in the second half of the year, if not earlier than that, he's he's going to get a lot of run. One more quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show. A lot of you guys listening to this right now, just like us, are longtime Manscaped users. There's 6 million men in this country that use them after all. So statistically speaking, a lot of you are already part of that group. But if you've been with Manscaped already for a while and you're looking for an upgrade, they want you all to know that they have finally released their Platinum Package. Inside the Platinum Package, you've got the classic Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. There's still ceramic blades, skin-safe technology to reduce nicks and cuts, a 7,000 RPM motor, the LED spotlight, and, of course, it's waterproof. There's also the Weed Whacker for ear and nose hair trimming, and that also has skin-safe technology and an even more powerful motor. It also comes with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver, plus their ultra-premium body wash and shampoo and conditioner that both smell really, really damn good. And it's the only body wash I ever use precisely because it smells so good. The package also comes with Manscaped boxers, aluminum-free deodorant, and a free travel bag to keep everything together while you're on the go. 
This Platinum package has literally anything you would ever need for grooming and staying fresh and clean. So if you want it for yourself, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with code bootleg at manscaped.com. Again, that is 20% off plus free shipping with promo code bootleg at manscaped.com. Thank you to Manscaped for partnering with us once again. And with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, let's get to Offense Player of the Year, the big boys, the vets, the ones that we know are good. Uh, and, you know, it's less projection and more so just looking at situation and, and you know, where lightning is going to strike. My top three candidates for Offense Player of the Year, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Justin Herbert. I very easily could have gone with a whole host of other quarterbacks there, but I felt like some of the other quarterbacks were going to be prime MVP candidates, and I didn't want to talk about the same people too often in this show. So I went with Justin Herbert for Offense Player of the Year because I think that he is he's ripe for that award. He has an amazing receiving core, one of the best receiving cores in the league. His offensive line is vastly improved. Still a little bit of a question at right tackle for me, but everything else should be just fine. Um, as one of the best young left tackles in the game, uh, very deep running back room, tight end we like a lot. And oh, by the way, the defense is going to probably eviscerate some folks this year. So he's going to get plenty of opportunities in plus territory as well. I think Justin Herbert's going to have his most productive year yet, at least should threaten for MVP, but I still have a couple guys slightly ahead of him there. But Offensive Player of the Year is well within reach. Jamar Chase, what else can you really say about him? Showed up to the league, didn't play after opting out his last year because, fuck, he didn't need to play his last year in college. Didn't play for over a year, showed up at the NFL, and was immediately of top five receiver in the league almost this is your you're putting, cautionary you're putting five tale. ahead of him no no this is your cautionary tale for preseason bootleg listeners remember the preseason last year and oh Jamar if people Chase, listen to that bullshit that's their own problem that's their own you fault. remember this was the narrative I do, I do. at this yeah. time of year right Ooh, jamar chase he's supposed to be all this and they could have picked a tackle and he's dropping a couple of footballs and he came oh out and God. said, look, the ball's a little bit different, right? Pro ball's a little bit different than a college ball. It'll take me a second. That's what he said. Everybody's like, ah, that sounds like an excuse. He's he's just bagging because he's people said this. Not that good. And he goes out and does the opposite. He doesn't show up as a preseason hero. He shows up as a season hero from the gun. And literally lifts that team to the Super Bowl a year ahead of schedule. Not single-handedly, but kind of single-handedly on offense. Like, he he was the kicker. They were good the year before. They still didn't have an offensive line. The major change was whenever we need it, we can go to Jamar. We can just chuck it up because he's down there, and he's going to come down with it. And he literally takes that team to the Super Bowl when they really didn't have any business being there in the AFC. So he's the opposite story of preseason as opposed to, oh, this guy's catching everything in the preseason. He comes out and he has, you know, 13 catches for 262 yards in the season. Like, that's that's the typical, like, a lot of preseason hype. Uh, okay, yeah, like you said, gets in amongst the big boys, the vets, and, oh, yeah, he's good, but he's going to need a couple of years. Chase, the opposite. Like, everybody had a couple of concerns in preseason, comes out and just dominates the regular season. I just – I. I, what baffles me 
is people looked at his 2019 season, Bolitnikov award winner, caught a ridiculous amount of balls, tons of yards, tons of touchdowns. Nobody could handle him at all. Other than sort of A.J. Terrell, like they had a back-and-forth battle, which is the mm-hmm. best performance anybody had against him, was a back-and-forth battle. And then, of course, A.J. Terrell ends up being an all-pro caliber corner, so that tells you a lot. Terrell was the only one that even came close. And people completely disregarded that year and that tape because he dropped three balls in the preseason. Like you're you're gonna you're gonna completely forget about everything else he did over three to four drops. Really, it's amazing to me how the NFL is such a what have you done for me league, not just for coaches and players, but for media and fans where people don't give a shit what you did and what records you set 12 months before if you drop three balls in the preseason. It's unbelievable. So if people bought into that and said, oh, it's not going to work. Like, no, that's stupid. You took the bait, hook, line, and sinker. It's your fault. Now, most of our audience, I think, is too smart to do that. But there were a lot of people out there that, that absolutely fell for it. And that's on them. That's on them. So that's all I'll say about that. But that being said, even though I love Justin Herbert and I love Jamar Chase, immediate top five receiver in the league, my pick for Offensive Player of the Year is Justin Jefferson, who conveniently was also on that 2019 LSU team. He is also a guy who showed up in the NFL, immediate top five receiver in the league, one of the best uh, rookie seasons ever, and then just kept getting better. And got better without a quarterback that's on the same tier as Joe Burrow, by the way. Not that Kirk Cousins is bad, but if I had to pick between Kirk Cousins and Joe Burrow, I'm picking Joe Burrow. Huh. But Justin Jefferson is as complete a receiver as you're ever going to see. Blocks his ass off, tough over the middle, legit deep threat, catches everything, great in the red zone, great in between the 20s. He is a true number one that does everything at an elite level. If I had to list off the top five receivers in the league right now, it's in whatever order you want to put them. Devontae, he's one, but two through five, you can put whatever order. Jamar, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, and uh, and Cooper Cup. Conveniently, Justin Jefferson is likely going to play the same role that Cooper Cup did for the Rams last year because Kevin O'Connell's coming over and he's running that offense. And I think that they're going to be in 11 personnel just as much as the Rams were last year with Cup. I think they're going to use Justin Jefferson and all these bunches to get him lost in traffic, just like they did with Cooper Cup. He's going to do everything that Cup did in terms of how they force-fed him targets off play action. And in isolated man-on-man situations down in the red zone, I think he's going to win even more than Cooper did. And that's saying a lot because Cooper is amazing. But Justin Jefferson's going to play that same featured role. And I think play it even better than the guy who just had one of the best receiving seasons in the history of the sport. So I think that Justin Jefferson, as great as he is, the arrow is only pointing up for this year. And I would be stunned, legitimately stunned, if he doesn't have a, at minimum, top three receiving year in the league. Yeah, we agree on two of the choices, uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I don't really think that's up for debate for all the reasons you just gave for Justin Jefferson. And 
throughout the beginning of this year, you can see it with Kevin O'Connell. That's the that's the question when a new coaching staff comes in is, is he going to be able to continue at that level of success that he had previously? And in this case, yes, and probably accelerate because this is a modern offensively focused, skilled coach, which in Justin Jefferson's case should elevate his game. And physically he was all there before. It's not like they're going to refine his technique or make him faster, stronger, be able to jump higher. Like he was all there on all of that. He's been uncoverable in the preseason. Nobody's joint practices, one-on-one, doesn't matter. Like nobody's been able to cover Justin Jefferson. And a lot of times rookies get a lot of press in the preseason because it's our first look at them and their first, you know, play against pro competition and the veteran guys who we already know are good. People tend to forget until again, the lights come on games start counting. And it's like, Oh yeah, Justin Jefferson's still freaking amazing. So <laughs> who knew? <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a lot of choices here. Like there's, there's running back choices, quarterback choices. Like, do I think Justin Herbert's not going to have an amazing year because I don't have him on the list? No, this is literally picking the 1% of the 1%. This is the best of the best. And just saying, Hey, Here's why. And it really does come down to kind of situation, narrative, and story. I think Jamar Chase's is well told after last year. I think you just made a very eloquent case for Justin Jefferson and that story. And my third is Devontae Adams. And his story's changed a little bit. His quality of quarterback has gone down, but only slightly. And that's because you're looking at a instant first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever play in the league, Aaron Rodgers. It didn't drop off a lot going to Carr, and his relationship with Carr is as good, possibly even better, because they're college teammates, they're friends, and we've said it over and over again, and sometimes people, you know, oh, Devontae's one, Devontae's one, Devontae's one, right? And you just kind of, it's almost almost like the furniture. You're so used to Devontae Adams being the best receiver in the league that you're like, oh, yeah, kind of like Cup. Like, Cup's not on a list. People are like, what are you talking about? Cup just had one of the best wide receiver his you know seasons in history yes he did do we think he's going to repeat yeah i don't think he's going to fall off a lot will it be that good probably not because he'll be splitting a little bit more with Allen robinson but cup's going to have an amazing season he is not a flash in the pan he is one of the best receivers in the league adams is going to be particularly motivated because of how often people talked about success and said yeah but you know, it's Aaron Rodgers. You got Aaron Rodgers. It's Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Don't think that doesn't motivate guys like Devontae Adams. And he might be insulated from that a little because he is universally regarded as the best receiver in the league. And we've said this before. It's rare for any position to be universally regarded as anything. You know, if you're really thinking about it, there's like two right now. Like, who's the best defensive tackle? Oh, it's Aaron Donald. <laughs> right? Who's the best wide receiver? It's Devontae. You talk about really any other position, and people will be like, well, my, you know, I mean, quarterback, cornerback, safety, defensive tackle, you know, other defensive May- tackles. Maybe like tight end, but you know, you're going to hear a lot of people also say, like, yeah, Travis Kelsey's 34. So it's even tight end is kind of right. Linear. And when Gronk was playing last season, it was like, you know, yeah. Kelsey does more, but Gronk's been doing it for longer. Any- anyways, there's almost always an argument. With wide receiver, we kind of forget about Devontae because we just go, oh, yeah, Devontae's one. Like, everybody goes, oh, yeah, Devontae's one. He, yeah, he's one. So he's on the list because he's going to be really motivated. Um, 
he's going to get a lot of targets like Josh Daniels not stupid he's he's going they they got him for a reason they're going to feed him targets he loves his quarterback like a brother and he's going to be super motivated to make his own star on a new team and say no I am still as good if not I am better so that puts Devontae Adams Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase I feel a little bit bad about that because it's wide receiver specific but hey folks it's the modern nfl that is that's the way the game goes there's a lot of running backs i would love to put on this list i you all know i love nick chubb do i think nick chubb is gonna have a better statistical season than any of those three guys i i don't um but when it comes down to it i'm gonna choose jamar chase because jamar chase dominated as a rookie again took that team to the super bowl a year early joe burrow isn't going anywhere and oh yeah, the Bengals took their massive weakness in the offensive line and thoroughly invested this year. So imagine all the stuff they did last year, Burrow and Chase, and just imagine that with less pass rush that'll be facing and more time to decide. Yeah. That I, <laughs> a little bit of a tough situation. To deal with. <laughs> I just It's hard to vote against Jamar Chase at that point because he does have all the tools, just like Justin Jefferson, just like Devontae Adams. He can do everything. He's big. He's physical. He can block. The one thing I was worried about when Chase was coming out was he didn't, he didn't display his top end all that much. If you looked, it was there. He beat fast guys in college, but he was a big, tough, dominant catch point wide receiver in college. Didn't mean he wasn't fast, right? We we saw his testing, and we knew he was fast. But on tape, he didn't tend to run that fast. Uh, in the pros, <laughs> they've opened him up. He runs right by guys, the fastest guys. So it's all there. He's got all the tools. He's got a great quarterback, again, that he has a tremendous relationship with. That's, you know, one of those themes that's going to go all through this. And, by the way, that quarterback's going to get beat up less and have more time to decide. You know why he's faster in the NFL than he is in college, by the way? Because, no. and I think this is why we might see this a little bit more with some guys that are in his position where, you know, they're like slam dunk first round picks when they're freshmen and sophomore. That year he took off, mm-hmm. he was entirely dedicating himself to preparing for the NFL. So he was working with track coaches to fix his yep. gait. Speed. Yep. It, he, was, he was a professional football player. As a junior in college, he just wasn't playing. Yeah. And he got faster. It's not that dissimilar to when Cooper Cup tore his ACL and he had to relearn how to run. And so he worked with track yeah. coaches and they taught him how to fix his gait. And so he went from being a four, like low four or five guy to being a legit four or four guy. If you look at telemetry data, he got faster after he tore his ACL because he learned how to run. Yeah. Same thing happened with Jamar Chase. He just trained and trained and trained for what his actual job was going to be. And then all of a sudden he showed up to the NFL and was faster than everybody. So I think you look at some of these young kids that are freshmen and sophomores in college, you know, uh, and especially now that NIL is a thing where they might not need the money by their junior year. If you're making $5 million as some, you know, kid from like a, a 6A program in Texas to commit to Texas, and, and then you have a good freshman and sophomore year and you peace out with your $3 million that you've made by junior year and you train for the league. Like, you don't think that Jordan Addison, if NIL, if NIL existed when Jordan Addison was being recruited and all the money that he's made, that he wouldn't be taking his junior year off and preparing for the league? He probably would be. So it's coming. Jamar mm-hmm. Chase had the, had the ability to do that. More guys eventually 
are going to do that after they make their money freshman and sophomore year. It's going to happen because you see what the results are. He was a better pro and better prepared to be a pro by taking that year off. And he's not the only one, by the way. There were some other guys that took that, that COVID year off and ended up being better at pros, too. So. Well, we we talk about on the defensive side, Joe Tryon Shrinka. Yes. Like, that's, yes, he, he did remade not, his body completely. Yeah, he did not look like that at UW. Like you could see the flashes mm-hmm. at UW. The frame was there. the The speed was there. Some of the power was there. But in terms of having an NFL body, he did not at UW. And by the time he hit the draft again, after a full year dedicated, the COVID year, full year dedicated to training, he's a different player physically, and. That is advantageous to come into a league full of grown ass men who are, you know, dedicated to beating you down, like having that armor that we, you know, has typically been added through, we always say, strength and conditioning programs in their first year when they get to be pros in the NFL. And you're right, people are going to take that sort of gap year, build themselves up, work on their flaws, and come out as more polished draft prospects who are ready to compete right out of the gate going through i think penny sewell also sat out if i remember correctly micah parsons sat out if i remember correctly they both were great as rookies especially parsons i mean how do you look at what jamar chase and micah parsons did as rookies and not see the case for sitting out for a year and just preparing do the job you're actually going to do you know it's it's a thing it's going to happen promise all right let's get to defensive player of the year let's cut the bullshit aaron donald (laughs) he's done pick He's going to be the pick until, uh, I don't know, he retires, whatever that is. But if it's not Aaron Donald, I have two other guys that I want to list as uh, not just possibilities, but likely going to be in the top three to five candidates for it. So my other two of the top three are, speaking of Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons. And then I also put in Nick Bosa as well. And maybe this is recency bias because I just saw Nick Bosa up close and personal standing seven feet away from him on the sidelines at practice this week or last week. Oh, my God. (laughs) He is an alien. He doesn't look human. Like, rocked up doesn't even begin to describe it. Like, Like, he's fucking Quadzilla. Like, people throw that nickname around all the time. I've never seen anybody shaped like him. Like, I think his body fat percentage has got to be, like, one. <laughs> like, it's unbelievable how just insanely in shape he is. And he's always been in shape, but this year just looks different. And he was giving everybody problems. He was giving Trent problems. McGlinchey, he beat like a drum. I almost felt bad for him by the second day. Nobody handled him. Trent got him, like, a, a few reps, but I would say it was 60-40 Bosa against Trent Williams, the best left tackle in the league. So if Trent is even struggling with him, God help everybody else. He's got incredible get-off. The power is insane. The hip flexibility. Uh, he's always been great since he got into the league. This year looks different. Like, I, I have seen so many elite NFL edge rushers up close. I have never seen anyone look like Nick Bosa, at least in the practice that I saw this week. It was awe-inspiring. So, yeah, Aaron Donald's that guy, but Nick Bosa's coming, man. He is coming. 
And the only reason I'm throwing Micah Parsons up there is because Micah Parsons is only scratching the surface. He was already a defense player of the year candidate last year. And they weren't even using him correctly for half the time. They didn't even start really use, utilizing him as a pass rusher until, you know, they sustained some injuries to Randy and D-Law and everything like that. And then they're like, okay, I guess we'll throw Micah I down guess. there. And then, oh, by the way, he's really good at that. But I think he's an elite pass rusher in the league himself. And he's better at linebacker than he was at Penn State. Like, that was my main concern with Micah is like, okay, they used him at Mike linebacker, but he didn't. He wasn't really playing the position with the same level of instincts as you like to see from top-level linebacker prospects. Well, guess what? In the year that he took off, he fucking learned because <laughs> he showed up in the NFL and was really good at it and also being a great edge rusher himself. So if there's two guys that I got to pick that are going to give AD a run for his money this year, uh, it's going to be Micah and Nick Bosa because they they're not normal at all. Nope, not normal. What Micah Parsons did last year, not normal. What he is able to do as a player from a versatility standpoint and an excellence standpoint, like there's a lot of guys that are versatile. There are not many guys that have that versatility that are excellent at both things or really three things the way the Cowboys used him right out of the gate. Like that's not normal. You just don't see that. That's why it was such a stunning season out of Parsons. So he's absolutely on my list. And then, yeah, you can pick the Bosa's, either one. Nick, uh, lots of people, you know, obviously having a very talented sibling who hit the league before you, you get compared. But a lot of people said, mm, Nick's even better than Joey. Like, Joey was great, <laughs> but Nick's the Nick's the better one. Obviously, he struggled with injuries. So is Joey. You know, you could say Joey. He's got Khalil Mack now. Like, you know, he's prime for a huge season. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to say TJ Watt because I threw in during this episode last year, this very episode last year, as a like also ran like one of those. As we're talking, I was like, holy shit, we haven't said TJ Watt's name yet. I got to say his name. And it was kind of in our honorable mention. It was like the last name I said. I've pulled that clip out and thrown it on Twitter a couple times because I was like, I felt good that I mentioned it. But then he's relentless as the year goes through and you get to the end of the year it's like man i'm really glad i mentioned tj watt because he's gonna win the damn thing and he did and until he doesn't i can't keep him off the list like bosa has every bit of potential both bosas have every bit of potential to win the award yes you know but tj watt won it last year and he's not hurt and he's playing in the same defense and he's got a role there and he already has the production. I can't vote against him. So for me, Aaron Donald up here, then yeah, if he gets hurt or decides to ride off into the sunset midseason with his money in his ring, then maybe Parsons or for me, TJ Watt. But again, this is picking the top, you know, 1% of 1%. TJ and JJ have to be the only brothers to win player of the year awards, right? There's no way. Anybody I else like maybe not. the sharps, but I doubt it. Yeah, I'm not great at NFL, like, record history. My brain doesn't work that way, and I know some NFL historians that I that I get to work with from time to time who are great at that stuff, and I'm just always in awe. It's like that one skill that you don't have, whatever it is, and somebody else is really good at it, and you just you sort of sit back and go, man, I wish my brain worked like that. My brain doesn't work <laughs> like that. Yeah, but it's it's one of the first families of football at this point. Like, JJ, TJ, Derek. I mean, come on, Derek. You couldn't go DJ, really? It had to be different. 
uh tj had a great interview this week um so we're recording this right after the second round of preseason games um I was just in Lumen Field last night watching the Bears take on the Hawks. Uh, but TJ had an interview this week that was really cool, and he kind of like stopped the proceedings. And he was somebody said, "Hey, do you do you basically think you're better than your brother?" And he was like, "Hey, mm. hey, like I'm really good, but I think people forget how absolutely dominant JJ was for like a." four year stretch like you need to go back and watch that film because what he did kind of hasn't been done and you're super aware of this following texas watched every snap every snap you're very close to that so you know that and he was uh, he said look he was unblockable i hate that term people always throw it around but he was literally unblockable there was no one that could block him in the league and he just tore through the league sort of at will he said you know i'm doing well i'm a good player i'm getting better i'm not ready to put myself on jj's level yet because i just haven't done that so don't don't do that basically and i thought it was great i was just like yeah there was a game it was a decade ago now and it is still seared into my memory it always will be it's one of my fondest memories as a texans fan unfortunately and this was 2012 i believe it was week two against miami and this was roughly a month after Wade Phillips, and this was J.J.'s second year in the league. Wade Phillips, during training camp, said, J.J. Watt's going to be a bust. And I don't mean a bust in that he's bad. I mean a bust in Canton. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 Wade. Keep in mind, Wade coached fucking Bruce Smith. Like A lot of people. He sees it. Yeah. He's, he's coached Bruce. He's coached Vaughn and DeMarcus and A.D. This is before that, but like he's coached a lot of great players. Uh, and he says, JJ's going to go to the Hall of Fame before he even got to his second year. Week two of 2012, they're playing against the Dolphins. This was Tannehill's rookie year. And this was Tannehill's welcome to the NFL moment was JJ Watt. There was a 90 second stretch at the end of the first half where JJ forced three turnovers in a row on three consecutive snaps for the Dolphins. There was like three consecutive possessions. I think it might have been like five total snaps. And it was the most whirlwind, ridiculous fucking barrage that I've ever seen a single player unleash on an entire NFL team before. It That was the game where everybody's like, oh, God, Wade's right. What is that? <laughs> yeah. And then it just kept going and going and going. And he, he put up 20 sacks that season, one defense player of the year. And then from 2012 to 2016, where he won three Defensive Player of the Year trophies. Like, TJ won one. Mm-hmm. He's won it one time. Do yep. it twice in the next three years, and then we can compare you to JJ. And I love TJ Watt. He's one of the best players in the NFL. Inarguably, I will hear no contra- contrarians about this. He is an elite edge rusher. And quite frankly, he has been for multiple years at this point. There's a list of five names I would ever dare to put up against Prime J.J. Watt in that stretch. And they're LT, Aaron Donald himself, Bruce Smith, Reggie, and maybe Prime Rebus, like late 2000s Rebus, or Champ Bailey, one of those two. That's like five names ever that I'm putting up against 
JJ for dominant defensive players. TJ is great. He could get there. Yeah. We need to wait a little while longer. Now, if he gets and another I, one this year, sure. Yeah. Okay, we can have the conversation. He's he's no, close, but, but he's not I there. I love yet. the self-awareness from from TJ to go, whoa, of course. whoa, whoa. Like, yeah. you need to go back and watch that. Like, I watched that as a young player, right? I was in college or, you know, freshly into the league when that was occurring. Like, it wasn't regular. Like you're saying, dominant gets thrown around. Like, dominant means... You can take it over by yourself at will, and that was JJ during that period. So, all right, rabbit hole achieved for the for the entire episode. <laughs> Honorable mentions: These are guys who have virtually no, mostly no shot of winning the award. But you absolutely need to pay attention to them this year because they should be not just top tier but elite tier players. Cortland Sutton and Cooper Cup. Now, Cup, okay, been there, done that. But Cortland Sutton, I think, is going to be ascending to that tier of oh he's legitimately like that guy in Denver there's been nothing but rave reports coming out of Broncos camp and quite frankly now that Sutton has a quarterback the caliber of Russell Wilson I think we're we're about to see what he's always been but just maybe not unlocked and Cortland Sutton you and I were both very fond of him I had him as my highest ranked receiver in that draft class I believe I had him to the Cowboys at 19th overall in that mock draft that year. I think you also had him as a first-round pick, ended up going in the second round. He's been amazing ever since he got in the league. Just hasn't hasn't had the guy to get him the ball yet. Now he does. And he has the guy that throws deep outside to wide receivers. And Which is what he does well. <laughs> and that's Cortland Sutton. So not only does yep. he have a quarterback that can get him the ball, he has a quarterback that likes to throw to receivers where he likes to play. And... I think he has a coach that is not going to back off the pass, right? Daniel Ackett's going to throw it, and he's got Russ to throw it, and Sutton's the guy, and you're going to see that focus sort of bring Cortland Sutton to, oh, yeah, he's really good receiver into, like, 1,200-plus yards, 10, 12 TDs. Well, I think we'll more see. than that even. I, I think he's going to spread around, but, like, I – you know, you look at like Stephon Diggs, right? We talked about Stephon Diggs being one of the top five receivers in the league. Like Stephon Diggs last year, 1,200 plus yards, 10 TDs, even playing with Josh Allen. And I'm not saying that Russ is Josh Allen. I'm saying you're going to see Corlin Sutton being that high 1,200, 10, 12 touchdowns, like as a focal point of that offense. And the Broncos aren't going to, even with a great running back, they're, they're, they're going to keep chucking it up to Cortland because he's going to keep producing and that that's going to move their offense. So on defense, uh, this is the all EJ team and, uh, you know, <laughs> get your flowers for this one. Christian Barmore, who was your DT one going away in the draft last year, had a great rookie season. All reports out of Patriots camp are he's making offense uncoachable because plays don't last long enough for people to get good tape in he's blowing up everything nobody can handle him and maybe that's a slight indictment on the Patriots offensive line but at the same time the Patriots offensive line has a lot of talent and Barmore's beating the shit out of them so I think Christian Barmore's just that dude I think that's the more likely scenario than the Patriots offensive line is just bad so I think that uh great call by you and he's absolutely going to be in the mix here And then uh, A.J. Terrell, who we've mentioned multiple times being, you know, one of the most underrated, not just corners, but players in the NFL, period. 
even though he's an all pro caliber guy, people still don't pay attention to him. And maybe it's because he's in Atlanta, but we had the same conversation about sauce. When you look at, you know, the end of the season results of the charts of like, here's who he went against. Here's how many catches they had against him. It's a whole lot of zeros. It's a lot of zeros. He shuts down pretty much everybody. And, I'm sorry, if you can go toe-to-toe with Jamar Chase when not even established NFL veterans like Marlon Humphrey can go toe-to-toe with Jamar Chase, you're pretty fucking good. Yeah, Barmore, it's it's not hype at this point. I've got a friend that's a Patriots beat writer, so he's there for every practice. Um, you know, not the ones just open to the public. Everyone uh, that's open to media, he's there. And he and all his cohorts have been saying, in not necessarily hushed tones, holy shit like he's wrecking everything and throwing around comparisons to great players that have played the defensive tackle position who have been true disruptors run pass able to take double teams and still beat players up and it is getting to the point where yeah if they want to get something installed on offense and see how it might look or might actually work they got to pull him for the rep because if they let him go and it's live contact, they're not getting any. They're not getting the look they want. They're having to basically adapt. It's been a lot of Richard Seymour comps thrown around. A I lot. wasn't going to do I think it. You but, were, I think you were saying before it. the draft, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they've they done it this year. and it's So he had a great rookie season. He was very, very solid in his rookie season. All the All the talk out of Patriots camps this summer is, no, no, not that. Like he's making the sophomore leap for a lot of times we talk about players that maybe take a while to, to acclimate to the NFL. Barmore played really well as a rookie and they're like, no, and he's still taking a jump. He's that much better than even what he was last year. So that's when you kind of prick your ears up and take notice of a good player that people are going, no, no, not the same, like way better. Uh, and that's Barmore this summer. All right. MVP picks main event here. My top three uh, <laughs> might be a syndrome of all with the bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, Justin Herbert coming in at number three for me. Top two are, how can you argue against him? Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And I know there's a whole bunch of Packer fans that are saying, wait, 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 wait. You have to have Aaron Rodgers in there. I agree. Aaron Rodgers is still incredible, still an MVP caliber quarterback. I'm just not 100% sure what's gonna happen this year without Devontae Adams I think Aaron's still gonna be amazing but I do wonder if there's gonna be a little bit of a lag period while they're getting into the Romeo Dubs experience or Dobbs is it Dobbs is that how we confirmed it's pronounced apparently he wants Dobbs and it's funny because we all heard Dubs pre-draft so we said Romeo Dubs Romeo Dubs Romeo Dubs and he got to camp and he was kind of sheepishly and he said it's it's Dobbs and everybody was like, damn it, I learned it the other like, way. There's a U in there. Okay, yeah. I don't know. but <laughs> He's, He says so Dobbs. Dobbs. If he changes it back, uh, we'll change back. Whatever. Whatever he wants to be called, we'll call it. That's right. It's his name. He gets to choose. So uh, maybe there's a little bit of a lag period for the Romeo Dobbs experience. Uh, still not 100% sure uh, in terms of Christian Watson when he's going to be 100%. He might be back, but he still might not be 100% for a little bit. And then, you know, Alan Lazard is penciled in as the wide receiver one, but Dobbs is the one that's making all the crazy plays in camp. So I, he's somebody you got to look out for, speaking of dark horse rookies. So because of that reason, I, I'm slightly putting Aaron Rodgers behind those top three, but I'm, it's a 
paper thin slice. And the top three that I have, again, Herbert, Mahomes, and Allen, are all elite quarterbacks in their own right. In terms of my actual pick for MVP out of those top three, I really do think this is the year of Josh Allen. Everything is lining up for Josh Allen. And quite frankly, if the coin flip went the other way last year, they probably go to the Super Bowl. Whoever won that coin flip was going to the Super Bowl. Ended up being the Chiefs. But neither one of those guys were going to be stopped that day. And I think that Josh Allen is going into this year, A, just as good as he was last year, B, a hell of a lot more pissed because of how last season ended. And quite frankly, a pissed off Josh Allen is not somebody to be trifled with. He's got the most, arguably, the most talented overall roster in the entire league around him. They are deep. The top 22 is incredible. The coaching staff in the front office is incredible. And I really think that the road for Josh Allen is slightly, very slightly, easier than the road for Patrick Mahomes because he has to navigate the crazy AFC West this year. Whereas Josh Allen, even though the AFC East is good, still not quite the AFC West. So overall, Josh Allen, I think, is going to be the same guy he was last year, which is a superhero, and have a little bit less uh, less painful of an obstacle to go through than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, my three is, you know, should be four, and it's it's tough because I have four guys that I now don't want to bet against in the NFL. I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes. We haven't seen success out of quarterback like Patrick Mahomes in terms of pretty much every year he's been in the league and playing. He's had a shot to go to the Super Bowl. He's gone to pretty much conference championship game almost every year. Like, he's been knock, knocking on the doorstep every year ridiculously talented player not gonna bet against Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen has ascended to that level he is a don't bet against him player he ascended I would say about a year and a half ago all through last season not a guy you want to bet against and all the things you said about the the scene being set in Buffalo it does feel like it's Buffalo's year in a lot of ways and I don't see any regression a lot of people are worried about Dable moving on you know Dorsey was right there play calling through the preseason we'll see how it holds up through the regular season but you know not much of a drop off there if any and then Aaron Rodgers I'm never going to bet against I've watched him too many times destroy too many teams and then you're so traumatized (laughs) nope it's not trauma though I've gotten to watch a legitimately excellent football player like if you look I'm a Bears fan and yes, he has victimized the Bears. He said we, you know, last year the big thing. I own you, right? I didn't even really get mad at that. And it's it's not victim syndrome or anything else. It's just true. Like he does, and he has, and he continues to, and he doesn't show any signs of dropping off. He's played at an MVP level for the since Lafleur's got there, basically. Like he has played arguably better football at the quarterback position now he hasn't had the postseason success but in terms of an individual performance at the quarterback position you cannot discount what Aaron Rodgers does because he is playing incredibly efficient incredibly effective and he makes it look easy football he is just so so skilled as a quarterback so I've gotten to watch that excellence and I gave up on hating it a long time ago I expect it for sure but I don't hate it anymore I just go man 
that guy is really good at football, and I should enjoy watching that. I will enjoy when he's gone in terms of my team's chances in the division, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy watching Aaron Rodgers play football, even when it's against the Bears. I expect him to bury them because that's just what he does, but I don't want to bet against him. And Joe Burrow, you know, is also in that category, especially Mm -hmm. after last year. So there's four guys that I don't want to bet against. We only have three slots. I'm going to leave Burrow out. Doesn't mean I don't think he's not going to be fantastic. He is. But Mahomes, complete alien. Josh Allen, complete alien. Aaron Rodgers, the standard of excellence at the quarterback position in terms of individual play going right now hasn't shown any cracks of of slipping physically or mentally. In fact, he's been playing some of his very best football of late. So those are my three. When it comes down to it, I'm going to go with Mahomes. I don't think the Chiefs are going to do better than the Bills. You talked a lot about the Bills being the team around Allen. I'm looking at individuals. Patrick Mahomes just has that little tiny flair of it. Um, We're going to talk about our picks for teams in a second. I actually think the Bills are going to do better, but from an individual standpoint, I'm going to go with Mahomes. Tough to argue against it. I mean, the guy's already a Hall of Famer, what, four years into his starting career? So, yeah, tough to argue against it. Uh, Let's get to division winners. Now, if you watched all of the recap episodes for the eight straight weeks that we did in the team preview series, we then did division sort of like macro preview series and we picked division winners in all those episodes so i'm going to recap who we picked to win all these divisions and ej i'm going to ask you if you want to knowing what we know now since what the two and a half months when we started recording those ago knowing what we know now if you want to change any of your picks so afc south i'll do afc first afc south we both picked the colts to win we also both picked buffalo to win the east cincy to win the north and the chiefs to win the West. Weirdly enough, we agreed on the entire AFC. Do you want to change any of your picks? No. Okay. I'm going to stand pat with mine as well. I will say, it's close. I'm, oh. I'm starting to get a little bit on the Ravens bandwagon, the Chargers bandwagon, the Titans are kind of okay, they're looking pretty nice. Buffalo is Buffalo. I'm going to hold on the picks I made earlier, but I'm a little bit more nervous about them. For the NFC, we both picked the Bucks to win the South. We both picked the Eagles to win the East. I picked Minnesota to win the North. You picked Green Bay, like the traumatized Bears fan you are. Uh, I picked the Niners to win the West, and you picked the Rams. Are you holding on those picks? The only one that I'm going to waver on, and this is this is funny, especially what we're going to talk about in terms of our picks coming up for how these teams are going to perform through the end of the year, is Philly to win the East. I still mm. think Dallas might win the East. Philly could be the wild card, but I actually, just like I talked about Kansas City and Buffalo, I actually think Philly is going to do better overall for the year. But I could see the Cowboys winning the division title for regular season and the Eagles going farther in the playoffs as a wild card. So I'll I'll hold with Philly, but I'm going to put that little note about, eh, I think I could see the Cowboys winning the, the division or the regular season division title, um, but I still have more faith in the Eagles to do better overall for the season. I mean, considering the history of the NFC East and all the weird shit that's happened in that division, 
that would actually be pretty on brand. If whoever wins the division almost doesn't even matter because as long as there's a wild card team in there. I mean, the Giants, they got to the Super Bowl twice as a wild card team like a decade right. ago. So, yeah, that's pretty on brand for, for the NFC East. Uh, all right, so if we're holding on all those picks for division winners, let's go to the uh, AFC Championship and NFC Championship. You and I agreed on our AFC Championship pick, and maybe this is cowardly chalk. I cannot put anyone other than Chiefs and Bills. And going back to that playoff game that they just played against each other, watching them go back and forth, these two superhuman quarterbacks, trade punches, nobody could stop anybody, and it literally came down to a coin flip. I think we're going to get a rematch of that game because the only team that could have beat either one of them that night was each other. They were the two best teams in the AFC last year, especially towards the end of the year. I think they're going to be the two best teams in the AFC this year. I think they're going to rematch in the AFC Championship game. And quite frankly, it could come down to a coin flip once again. Would not be surprised. They are both ridiculous teams. And I love Cincy. I love Indy. They're Ravens, Chargers, Raiders, Broncos, whoever you want to put in for the AFC. I refuse to pick against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes until proven otherwise. One major difference, though. And What's it's that? Something, something you alluded to earlier in terms of divisional strength. Uh, for those of you that watch the divisional previews, we you know we have sort of ultimate respect for the AFC West. We called it the Kaiju Division. All four teams in that division are legitimately good. Chargers, legitimately good. Raiders, very strong obviously the Chiefs are strong and you cannot say now that the Broncos have fixed their largest glaring weakness of quarterback that they're not also legitimately stacked and we believe a good team with a switch again to an offensive minded you know quarterback friendly coach and Nathaniel Hackett that division there's just not a weak team AFC East where Josh Allen plays Bills we both think are going to win that Miami is a you know, improved team strongly on the offensive side. The Patriots were good last year and look to be as good or better this year. The Jets, oh, there's a few cracks in the armor with the Jets. They haven't proved anything yet. They, you know, quarterbacks injured didn't turn out to be catastrophic, which is really good. Happy to hear that news on Zach Wilson, but he's going to take a while to get back up to speed. Like, there is one weaker team in that division. And that could be the tipping point. You're talking about two teams between the Chiefs and the Bills that are evenly enough matched that it comes down to a coin flip. Could come down to the fact, in terms of when you're talking about home field, that there's one weak team in the AFC East and there's not really a weak team in the AFC West. So I think this game gets played at Buffalo. I would agree with that. And I know there's a lot of people that say, like, oh, I don't know if the Chiefs want to go play in the cold of Buffalo in the winter. Uh, have you ever been to Kansas City in January? <laughs> Arrowhead is miserably cold in the later it's months. So, so fucking cold. Yeah. Oh my god. It's there. It's single digits regardless. So who cares? It's going to be yeah. an outdoor cold game. Either team's going to feel like they're playing at home. Uh, all right. NFC Championship game. You and I agree on one thing here, which is the Rams are going to be in it. You and I disagree on the team that's going to be playing against the Rams. For me. I have the 49ers hosting the Rams in the NFC Championship game, and this is a huge risk 
because Trey Lance, first year as a full-time starter, the, the 49ers do not have a habit of staying healthy. There's so many reasons for me to be negative about this. But at the same time, Kyle Shanahan has coached through more difficult situations and still either got them to conference championship games or got them to the Super Bowl. And so this pick is a big belief in Kyle Shanahan as a coach. It is a vote of confidence in what Trey Lance will eventually be. Is there going to be a rocky start? Yeah, probably. I saw it with my own eyes. He is inconsistent accuracy-wise. There's going to be great games and there's going to be bad games. And Niners fans are going to have to deal with that. But I think on the whole, the 49ers as a team, offensively and defensively, are strong enough that they're going to get through the growing pains. And then we're going to get to December when everything is locked and loaded and they're rolling. Everybody's in a groove. And I think this great 49ers machine helmed by a more talented quarterback than they've had in the past is ultimately going to make another championship game run. Whether they win that game, it's going to be tough to say. We'll get to the Super Bowl pick in a moment. But I do think that they are just as good, if not better, than they were last year, and they were already a conference championship caliber team last year. So I have Rams at 49ers, who again were my division winner pick, in a rematch of last year's NFC Championship game in this year's NFC Championship game. Who do you have? This is, I like that as a take it out of the bottom of the bag pick, right? Shuffle around down in there. Don't go chalk and say, look, it's never always chalk. There's always a couple of teams that upset that. So I can, I like your reasoning for the 49ers because people do forget because Kyle Shanahan hasn't won the ring, but he's been there, like right there multiple times, even with not great teams. And people just forget that because he didn't end up on top at the end. He's going to break through. He's going to get there. It was the knock against Andy Reid for the first part of his career, right, when he when he left Philly. Hey, he gets, gets him there all the time, but he couldn't win one. Then he gets to Kansas City and he wins one, and people are like, whoa. And I think the narrative will change eventually when Kyle does win one. Could it be this year? Could be this year. I'm going to also grab sort of down towards the bottom of the bag, and I presage this a little bit when we were talking about the NFC. My game is Eagles at Rams. And I think the Eagles might do it as a wild card, not as a division winner. I just feel like this is kind of like the Cincinnati team from last year. It feels like that team that's a little early, but, man, they got a good roster. They've been making slow but steady progress. They made some huge additions in the offseason. And just feels like they're going to gel a little bit more quickly than people think they might. I know a lot of people are going to recoil at this. What do you mean the Eagles are going to be in the NFC Championship game? That's kind of what we say about one of the teams almost every year. I think they have a chance to be a very good, very potent offense. Obviously, their defense has a lot of additions uh, and fixed several of its most glaring weaknesses. And the coaching staff, although green, yes, pun intended, was better more quickly than we thought, right? We didn't know what to expect from Sirianni and staff, and they were pretty solid in their first go-around. I think they're going to continue pushing that. Hertz is going to continue that slow ascension that we talked about when he was drafted, that this is a guy that has continued to get a little bit better every year. He was you know, good last year, but not great, and he's got even more weapons. I think he'll continue to up his play. All that adds up to a really interesting matchup of Eagles at Rams. Super Bowl picks now. 
this one is it, it honestly hurts my feelings and I am not even a 49ers <laughs> fan yes I do pick the 49ers to win that NFC championship rematch I have them losing the Super Bowl again Kyle Shanahan losing the Super Bowl again for the first time in or no third time in seven years I think it is and the only reason I have him losing is because on the other side, I have the Bills winning that rematch from last year, Bills versus Chiefs. I have Josh Allen finally getting over that hump, getting to his first Super Bowl. And the Bills, I have winning the whole damn thing. It's close. Both teams are incredible, truly incredible. You could argue either way on this one. But what it comes down for me is you have top-tier coach in Kyle Shanahan versus top-tier coach in Sean McDermott. You both have great defenses on either side of the ball, very talented offenses, tons of skill position players. Offensive lines are great. The one difference between them, Josh Allen versus Trey Lance. And I'm not saying that Trey Lance cannot eventually be a Josh Allen-type quarterback. Even people didn't think Josh Allen would be a Josh Allen-type quarterback. But right now, if I have to put Trey Lance against Josh Allen, I would be insane to take anyone but Josh Allen. Again, the only thing that I think stopped him from winning a Super Bowl last year was a fucking coin. Not anything that happened on the field. He was not the reason they didn't win the whole thing last year. It was a defensive blunder against Travis Kelsey with 13 seconds to go and a coin. So, yeah, I'm going with Josh Allen to win it. I feel awful for picking Kyle Shanahan (laughs) to lose another Super Bowl because he's a great coach, and the 49ers are a tremendous team. But I can't pick against the Bills, man. Like, this is... If there was ever a year for them to do it, it's now. The roster's there. The quarterback's there. The coaching staff is there. The front office is there. There's nothing wrong with them at all. So if they're going to win it, they got to do it now. Fully agree. Like, fully, fully agree. So my Super Bowl is Bills versus Rams, and the Rams don't repeat. Bills take this mm. one. And it's not that the Rams are a bad team or that they have a bad coach or a bad quarterback or anything else. Um, they're a tremendous team. I think it would be a great game. But the Bills, as an organization, and, you know, I'm not going to say – only or solely because they have Josh Allen, but they do have Josh Allen, and it does come down to quarterback play in this league. Yes, you need all those other things. You need great offensive pieces around them. You need, you know, great pieces on defense and a team that plays as a team, and McDermott's teams play as a team. They are very talented individually, but they are not a collection of all-stars. You know, you look at that secondary. Like, they play very well as a unit, as a group together. I think it's Buffalo's time. And like you said, the window is now and they have the alien at quarterback plus the coach, plus the GM, plus the fan base. Like this is the time for them to put the hammer down and boat race a bunch of people on the way to this game and win it right going away. And, you know, Von Miller can ride off into the sunset if he wants to, even after the big contract against his former team, great storylines, but like Josh Allen, hits the mountaintop and wins it. I just realized that that is the Von Miller Bowl, huh? It would be the Von Miller, I don't even want to say revenge game because it doesn't feel like that. It would be the the Von Miller triumph game. Hey, I got two rings in two years and I am ready to 
to cement the very last bit of whatever being happy. And I'm, you know, maybe I just turned myself into a coach. He said repeatedly that, hey, one of the reasons going to the Bills has been fun is that I don't have to be the guy. These guys are really talented. He's talking about the young defensive linemen on the Bills. He's like, I can just be that one little extra thing. I can help them learn. I don't have to come in and, and lead them in sacks. You know, I can teach them how to lead in sacks and be a contributor. So it just, I don't know, there's a, and maybe it's, you know, it, maybe it's the Homer piece of me, but I, you know, I know more folks that cover the Bills, you know, regularly. Joe Marino does the Locked on Bills podcast. Joe and I talk pretty often. Um, you know, we know the guys at Rock Pile Report, Drew and Chris, and talk to them, cover one guy. Like, we're, we're pretty tied into the Buffalo market, but it's just, there's a lot of energy around that team, around that building, around this time, and I would not be at all surprised to watch them ride that wave to the ultimate success in the NFL this year. Did you see the picture of the stadium in the first open practice? Yes. I actually retweeted it and said, that, Find that you could have somebody. looked like a primetime game against the Patriots. There was not a seat empty in the whole stadium. Yeah. I said, Find you somebody that loves you like Buffalo loves the Bills. And it was, oh my it was God. literally an open practice and it was packed. And it's so funny because, you know, folks that follow podcasts know that I have family uh, back in Buffalo. I don't, I don't talk to them all that often, but, um, you know, it was my daughter's birthday a few weeks ago. We got a card from my aunt, who is also my godmother, right? And so we, we called her, we FaceTimed her, and we let her, you know, watch my daughter opening her card. And, you know, we talked about family and we talked about how things are going there and how things are going here. And it wasn't five minutes before like, Hey, how's your summer going? Cause my aunt's retired now. Right. And she's like, the bills are good. And she starts going into like, I'm not kidding. I didn't bring it up. People are like, oh, of course you brought it up. EJ, you, you run bootleg football's your life. I, I didn't bring it up. I didn't say the first thing about football. It, literally my aunt out of, out of the air starts talking about second and third string defensive linemen and how this is going to be the year. Like that's Buffalo. How, right? how old is she? Uh, you know, early seventies. Like, See, there you go, man. But you, like that's you even that, got AARP I, meetings talking about the bills over there. I, I was like, so how's your summer? And like the first thing she says is the bills are good. And she's going into like roster battles. This is the average bills fan on the street, right? That's how Buffalo loves the bills. And it's, I've told people I've been to many cities in this country and lots of cities in this country love their sports teams, right? Not just their NFL teams, but their, their college team. If they're a college town or, or their baseball team, like lots of cities in this country love their teams. I haven't been to a place like Buffalo. Buffalo loves the Bills specifically. Like, yeah, they love the Sabres. They love the Bisons. You know, they, yes, that's all true. Buffalo loves the Bills in a way that is different than any city I've been to in this country. It's like, I've said it before, like if the Bills lose, Buffalo is a miserable place to be on Monday because it doesn't matter if you're going to the butcher or the bank or your insurance agents or the car dealerships. They're all freaking bummed. And it's like, why? It's because the Bills lost. And they shouldn't have lost, and they'll go into all the reasons why they lost. And I mean, in detail, not like, oh, well, the Bills aren't doing good this year. No, it's it's not like that. It's very, very different. So I hope this happens because it would be it would be brilliant to see. 
if they win, you know we're going out for the parade, right? Because I, I think there's going to be Super Bowl parades, and then there's going to be a Super Bowl parade in Buffalo. Very different things. Yes. Like, we have to go for the parade. Oh, for sure. I, I mentioned to the Rockpile guys that we might venture out to Buffalo for a regular season game this year. <laughs> Drew sent me the, the greatest gif reaction <laughs> it was one somebody captured of him obviously during a heated moment in a bills game where he like jumped up off the couch and was like yes <laughs> and i was like okay i just mentioned we might be there this is this is the fanaticism that is bills phantom that is the bills mafia that that is that community and the tie to that team it's different than than any place i've ever been so we got to go for the packers game because then you know I'm, I'm a little brother i don't know about you i'm a little brother and, and when I have an issue, I go to my big brother to handle it. And so as Bears fans, we got to go to the big brother over in Buffalo <laughs> my, to ha- my handle dad's, the bully. <laughs> yeah, my dad's team can beat up your dad's team. That's what this exactly. is. Yeah. Uh, mm. Well, that'll do it for uh, our season predictions for this year. We talked about Rookies of the Year, Offense Defense Player of the Year, MVP, Division Winners, Championship Matchups, and ultimately Super Bowl Winner. The one theme of the day, this is the Bills' year, we think. We hope. We think. We God hope. willing, that team needs one. That city yeah. needs one. And uh, I overall, it's going to be a fun season. I, I can't remember yeah, when this regardless. episode goes live, but I'm, yeah. I'm really excited. Uh, actually, when this goes live real time, days from now, whenever this is up, you and I are going to be at Bills versus Rams live in L.A. So... Yeah gonna be fun a little bit of full circle thing here but thank you all for watching and listening uh this coming week i believe tuesday morning after week one of the nfl from the time this drops uh we're gonna have our first of the in-season kind of recap analysis episodes after week one so stay tuned for that go back and watch all the season previews for whatever your favorite team is or division uh we talked about preseason winners and losers we're talking about year two quarterbacks so lots left on the channel for you go to check out and uh yeah gonna be a hell of a year thank you for watching and sticking with us and uh we'll see you back here very very soon Take care.